0: because you know what that commercial is about, if I can use a couple terms, it's about reproduction. And it's about reproduction quality. What they're saying in that commercial is very simple, that the quality of their tape is so high that it's able to capture Ella Fitzgerald's voice. What did he say with crystal clear fidelity? Uh, They're saying it we're able to reproduce, we're able to capture the essence of her voice so that you can't really tell, is it really Ella singing or is it the recording, is it the cassette tape of her singing? You know, if you were in a room and Ella Fitzgerald is there and she sings a little bit and then she stops singing and then they they play the cassette recording of her singing, that you can't tell the difference. I don't know, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but, but that's what they're saying. That's the communication. It's a, it's a message about reproduction quality. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is, is this fact that we were very much designed by God to be the same. We were designed to capture the essence of who God is in our character, in our nature in our being. That's what we were created to do. Now Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, I wanna I wanna zero in on this a little bit and we wanna talk about some things that are really important about our development. Everybody say development. About our development and about the transformation that is to take place in our lives. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 Genesis is called the seed bed of the Bible. And the reason it's called the seed bed of the Bible is pretty much every principle that is taught all throughout Scripture has some kind of seed form representation in Genesis. For example, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we see a pattern that says, uh, Then God said... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion, so on and so forth. So here's what we learn from the very first chapter of the Bible, that we are special. We are unique as human beings, that we have a place in God's plan. Now, listen, this is not something to be arrogant about. This is not something to be puffed up about. This is something to kind of fall on our knees and worship God about. Uh, that we were created in the image and in the likeness of God. There's there's just something special about um, humanity. Now, how many of you know that a cassette tape, if you didn't take proper care of it, could get messed up? Did any of you... Uh, Back in the day, and I'm not going to ask what songs you had because it may not have been the Gaithers back then. All right. You may have been listening to who knows what you were listening to. I, I I'm embarrassed. I kind of like John Denver. You know, I look back on it and I think, what was I thinking? But anyway, I, I just kind of like the softer, you know, James Taylor, Jim Croce, and all that. Some of those kind of songs. But anyway, um, whatever we liked, whatever we listened to back in the day, Uh, Did you ever leave a cassette tape on your dashboard in the sun for maybe longer than you should have? And, And next time you put it in, let me just tell you this. It wasn't crystal clear fidelity, all right? The tape got warped and maybe it got dry and brittle. Maybe it broke. Maybe it got all mangled up inside the player or something like that. So what happened is... Maybe it was originally, you know, in the image and likeness of Ella Fitzgerald or whoever you like. it was originally a good reproduction. It, It really captured the quality and the essence of who that vocalist was. But because of maybe not taking care of it or wear and tear, whatever the case, it lost its clarity. It lost its reproduction quality. Well, see, we were the original reproduction. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Just like the cassette tape captured Ella Fitzgerald, uh, we had captured, or maybe a better way to say it, we didn't capture it, it was imparted to us. It was invested in us, the character and the nature of God. We were created in the image and in the likeness of God. Just like the cassette tape could get messed up, guess what? We got messed up. We got distorted. Um, we didn't get left out in the sun too long. What happened was man chose sin. Man chose to disobey God. Man chose to follow the suggestions and advice of Satan. And and the advent of sin, the, the coming of sin into the human race uh, did something. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Well, man didn't die physically that day. Uh, and actually, in the Hebrew, the word death is used there twice. In dying, thou shalt die. And and there was a, a spiritual death. There was a destruction, a devastation that came into the inward man. Uh, All of a sudden now instead of peace and joy there was guilt, there was shame, there was condemnation and this thing called sin began to eat away. Um, I I don't know, you know, some of this is semantics and and all that. Um, I'm not saying that we lost even the capacity to bear the image and nature of God. But whatever image and nature of God, image and likeness of God we had, there was certainly a marring or a disfiguring or a disruption that happened so that now uh, mankind began to exhibit a lot of things other than godliness. Uh, Man became sinful. Uh, Adam, the first thing he did, you know, he got afraid. Well, fear wasn't part of his original nature. But there was a fear that came into him. And then he started blaming his wife. God said, did you eat of the fruit? And God said, or Adam said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the, you know, it's her fault. You know, is kind of a... You know, kind of what Adam was hinting at. And then Adam's first son murders the second son. And man, sickness and disease and chaos and pain and war and plague and everything just began to operate in human nature because man, who was originally created to have reproduction quality of God's nature, fell into sin. And there was a pollution, there was a contamination, there was a distortion of the original message. But you know what? God saw humanity and and he he had to, you know, it wasn't his plan, it wasn't his will, it wasn't his purpose, but how many of you know God wasn't going to let humanity languish in sin? He sent Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus came? And I don't know how to describe it in proper detail. I suppose it's beyond even human words, but... Somehow, some way, Jesus, when he went to the cross of Calvary, absorbed. The Bible says the the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So some way beyond my ability to comprehend all of the distortion, all of the... Um, you know, problems that had messed up the, the original recording of, of God's image and likeness in humanity. Somehow Jesus on the cross just said, I'm going to take all of that from you. And Jesus took that on the cross and then he died for us. And then he rose from the dead for us. And when he rose from the dead, his blood had, had taken away the penalty for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, there was a life-giving spirit. There was resurrection life that was available to come into human beings once again. And once again, God put his image and his likeness on the inside of us. There was a, there was again a reproduction quality there was the basis for a a transformation that would take place on the inside of man. See, whenever you put a cassette tape in a player, it's just whatever's on the inside is going to come on the outside. Okay, and, and when God puts his nature on the inside of us, uh, then he did it so that what's on the inside could come on the outside. How many of you remember the old song, I've got something on the inside working on the outside? Oh, what a change in my life. And I want you to look at another verse. This to me is a very, very powerful verse. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 in the Amplified. And it's a communication about what God's plan is for our life. You remember, what's the two, what are the two words that we were saying are connected to the idea of Ella Fitzgerald and the cassette tape with her voice on it? You remember those two words? Reproduction quality. The quality of what is reproduced on the tape is so similar to the original that it's hard to tell the difference, right? And, and I want you to know this. God designed us to bear and to carry uh, reproduction quality. We are designed to bear and carry the image and nature of God and express the image and nature of God. Ephesians 5.1 in the Amplified Bible says, therefore, be imitators of God. Isn't that something? Imitate God. Say, well, they expect too much of me down at the church. Well, what do they expect of you down at the church? They don't want me to imitate God. Well, no, the church doesn't want you to imitate God. The Holy Ghost wants you to imitate God. How do you imitate God? I mean, you know, I don't know that there's... You know, are you going to stand a certain way? Are you going to walk a certain way? How do you imitate God? A certain facial expression? I I don't know that it's anything external that we imitate God. It's His life coming out of the inside of us that we imitate God. Be imitators of God. Copy Him and follow His example "...as well-beloved children imitate their Father." Isn't that an amazing, amazing verse? Imitate God. How how would that be for a goal for this week? Just all week long, I'm going to imitate God. What does that mean? You just ask, what would God do? What would the love of God do? What would Jesus do? Now, let me just tell you this. Don't try to imitate Him in the strength of your flesh. Because you cannot do that. The only way you can really imitate God is by allowing Him to live on the inside of you. Uh, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 2. And and for our friends back in the video booth, I'm I'm kind of going off track from here. So forgive me. I'm going to jump way down to a scripture at the very end of the message. And then I'm going to go to some things that aren't even in the message. I've just got a little different direction here. But Galatians 2.20, I believe that's one of the last... Excuse me, verses that we have. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I have been crucified with Christ. The Greek, if you go back and study how Paul actually worded it in the Greek, the Greek, the better rendering, this is a good rendering, but, but an even more precise rendering is, with Christ, I was co-crucified. With Christ, I was co-crucified. How many of you remember the old spiritual? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I don't know about you, but every time I've heard that song, it's deeply, I mean, it's its, it's from the depth of a person's being, and it communicates very deep and profound um what is pathos the right word? Passion and, um, you know, kind of a connectedness that meant when Jesus was crucified, I was there. I was with Christ when He was crucified. And, and that's more than just kind of an historical thing. Well, I can look back and I can imagine that I was there. I can imagine what it would be like to be there. Yeah, but you were there. In the sin that was laid upon him, you were there. It was your sin that was laid upon him. It was my sin that was... See, people have gotten ugly when they want to be racist and everything. Oh, the Jews killed Jesus and they get anti-Semitic and all that. You know, listen, it was me that killed him. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was your sin. None of us have the right to blame the Jews or the Romans. It was us. It was our sin, just as much as anybody else's that put Jesus on the cross. We were there when they crucified the Lord, because we were crucified with Christ. There's something in this, this it, it, theologically this is called identification. He became everything we were. Everything that was negative in our life was poured upon him so that when he went to the cross, in the mind of God, it was as though we were being crucified. I was crucified with Christ. That's not some distant, historical, external thing. You and I were a part of the crucifixion. When we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ... And you know, honor the death of Jesus Christ on the cross around Passover and the you know Good Friday and all that. You know, we, what we're really acknowledging is we died with Christ. He didn't just die. He didn't have anything to die for. We had something to die for. He took upon himself our sin. He died our death. And, and Paul said this uh, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, Romans 6, he said, Our old man was crucified with Christ. And then he says, We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And we were raised with him to walk in the newness of life. We died on that cross. We were buried. We descended into the lower parts. We were quickened in the grave. We were raised and we were even ascended with Christ. And Paul went on to say, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places because of this identification. He became as we were so we could become as he is. He took everything negative from us so that we could receive everything positive from him. You're crucified with Christ. He, he united himself to humanity. And I love what Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's an amazing thought. What if, what if somehow we were able to just quit trusting in our Just quit trusting in our intellect. Quit trusting in our, you know, quit trusting in my self-control. Quit trusting in me and, and began to say, you know what? Do you know what Jesus said? He said... Uh, of mine own self, I can do nothing. See, he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. What if we could would say, I can of mine own self do nothing, but when I let Jesus live on the inside of me, I can do all things then through Christ who strengthens me. This is called, what some theologians have called this, the exchanged life Uh we, we've had an exchange with Jesus. He took all of our junk. We took all of his righteousness. Uh, when he was raised, we were raised. Um, and, and now we don't even have to live in the power of our own strength. We get to live in the power of his might. Isn't that amazing? See, our limitations kind of don't mean anything to God. Because when he lives on the inside of us, uh, our limitations cease to matter because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, Pastor Ray, you kind of messed up my message tonight, and I want to tell you why. You started, what was that? You opened with man of sorrows. You messed me up. Turn back in your Bibles, in this, folks, Isaiah chapter 53. I'll forgive you, Brother Ray, sometime, sometime. But... I had an inkling before you sang that song that I might need to add a little something, go a little different direction tonight. And Isaiah chapter 53, Pastor Ray, tell me, tell me kind of the opening words to that song. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, man of sorrows, Lamb of God, By his own betrayed. The sin of man. The sin of man and wrath of God. And wrath of God was there on Jesus laid. You know, the Bible, how many of you know how much emphasis the Bible puts on the cross? The cross. And it's not the cross, it's what Jesus did on the cross. But the cross symbolizes everything that Jesus did there. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 from the New Living. It says, he, Jesus, was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. And that word sorrows there in the Hebrew language means pain of any kind. And, and I want to talk about this tonight. And, and I, I wasn't going to go this direction. I thought, honestly, I thought this morning's message was kind of heavy enough. I wanted to do something a little more lighthearted tonight, but but again, it's Ray's (laughs) fault. No, I felt the Lord, you know, kind of telling us to go this way. But Jesus was a man of sorrows, and that word sorrows means pain of any kind. And what I want to talk to you tonight, just, I'm not going to go long tonight, but what I want to talk to you about is the pain that we go through in life. And what Jesus went through in terms of his pain, and then what we go through with our pain. How many of you face some pain in life? You know, some pain somewhere, somehow. Um, and we're not here. How, how many of you remember the old song from Hee Haw? Remember that song? Gloom, despair, agony untold. Deep, what? Deep, dark depression excessive misery. I'm getting it all messed up. I can't get this right. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony, untold, something like that. But it's, you know, you used to have those guys sitting around in their straw hats and coveralls and playing that. they just so sad, so sorry. Look, we're not here to get all gloomy and doomy tonight. But, but we are here to understand the reason we don't have to get all gloomy and doomy is because Jesus was a man of sorrows. Because Jesus, uh, there are some things that Jesus bore as our substitute so that we don't have to bear some of that. There's other things that Jesus bore as our example to teach us how to get through some things. But either way, the Spirit of God's there to make a difference in our life. The Bible says Jesus was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. That means he knew pain of any kind or pain of every kind, really. Uh, He was acquainted with deepest grief. Uh, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Uh, he was despised, and we didn't care. You know, humanity didn't care what happened to Jesus. And um, I want to I just take you through a few things. Like I said, this isn't going to take you long, but I want to take you through a few of the things that Jesus experienced. Because sometimes we get to thinking, let me tell you if you've ever had this thought, that you're going through something really hurtful, you're going through something really painful... And because of the pain of it you 've been tempted to think god doesn 't care and and you know sometimes now, how many of you know we got to go by the word of God, not by the feelings of the flesh? sometimes our feelings you know God may feel a long way away, but he never is uh, sometimes we're going through something and and let me ask you this: have you ever wanted God just to you know, instantaneously bring you out of a situation and man, you prayed and you believed and then you bound and then you loosed and then you interceded and then you supplicated and then you moaned and then you groaned and then you whined and then you belly ached and then you repented and then you got back into faith and it just didn't quite happen as fast as you wanted it to happen. I like what Joyce Meyer says. Joyce Meyer said, "We all want to drive through, break through." And I wish, you know, I wish. What, what if I were to give a, an invitation tonight, and I said, "You know, instead we're just going to, we're just going to believe God and whatever it takes, God's going to get you through." What if I said, I, "I'm going to pray a miracle prayer tonight, and everybody's going to get their prayer answered instantly." Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, do you want me to tell you why some prayers don't get answered instantly? I'm going to tell you that right after I pray that you have a trouble-free life. And that you never face another problem again as long as you live. I don't know why everything's not instantaneous. But but let me tell you some of the things that Jesus went through. Uh, and I think it kind of helps us understand... That he is absolutely and totally able to be compassionate toward us and empathetic toward us. He doesn't condemn us, even when we go through a season of struggle. Now, thank God for everything that's instantaneous, but, but also thank God for you know, answers that are progressive. We'll just take the answers, period. But, but what, what were some of the sorrows, what were some of the pains that Jesus went through? First of all, now we always think of Calvary and obviously that was, you know, the pinnacle, the ultimate, uh, pain of, of what Jesus went through. And, and so much of that he went through so that we didn't have to. You know, he went through being rejected so we don't have to. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you and I never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus bore that for us as our substitute. But Jesus, number one, grew up with the knowledge that there was an attempt to kill him when he was a baby. Now, I understand. I I I know theology and have studied theology, and I understand that Jesus was God, the Son, manifested in the flesh. I understand the deity of Christ, but we also are taught in the Bible, the same Bible that teaches us the deity of Jesus also teaches us the humanity of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man. But when he came into the human body, when he became manifest the Word made flesh, Jesus... Willingly and, and intentionally, it, it's, it's not that he ever ceased being God, but for that season of 33 years on this earth, he chose to function as a man. And that's why you see Jesus at times, you know, like, he, who touched me? He didn't know. He said, you know, I don't know, The only the Father knows. Because Jesus, as a man, limited himself to the things that were revealed to him in his humanity. All right? Um, well, we could go on forever and ever about that, but we won't. But, but Jesus, can you imagine as a little baby, as a little toddler, um, you know, kids a lot of times when they reach a certain age will say, Mommy, tell me about when I was born. Can you imagine when Jesus and Mary had that conversation? And Mary said, well, Jesus, you'd better sit down. Um, because, you know, your birth was kind of special. And I don't know at what point Mary said, you know, now, Jesus, now, Joseph, he's your earthly daddy, but, you know, how do you explain the incarnation? How do you explain the virgin birth? And, and uh, Jesus, when you were born, uh, kings from another land, uh, came and visited you, and they brought us gold and, you know, silver and, you know, valuable things. And and um, uh, and shepherds came, and Jesus, and there were angels. Uh, but you know what? At some point, somewhere in the story, at some age, Jesus was also going to learn that the king of his own land sent assassination squads to exterminate him. And the only way that Jesus didn't die was Joseph was warned in a dream, they fled. But Jesus at some point had to learn that probably 20 other little baby boys were killed because they were trying to kill him. I'm not trying to make this some psychological case or whatever, but what does that do to a person to know that when you were a baby, the king and his soldiers wanted to kill you and were willing to kill maybe a few dozen other babies trying to exterminate you so you'd never grow up. I think Jesus was a man of sorrows. I think somehow, some way that had to make some kind of impact on Jesus to... to in his humanity, in his deity, he'd always known all this. But in his humanity, he began to know and experience this as a human. And see, that's why we can relate to Jesus... If Jesus were only deity, we could say, well, you know, God can't really relate to us because, you know, he doesn't know what it is to be hungry. He doesn't know what it is to be thirsty. He doesn't know what it is to be rejected and hated and, you know, pursued and things like that. But because Jesus is not only fully God, but because he's fully man, he's able to, and here's what Hebrews says, he's able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You ever had anybody hate you? You ever known the pain of rejection, of hatred? Uh, Jesus grew up with the knowledge that Herod sent soldiers to kill all the little boys in and around Bethlehem. And then, under the threat of death, Jesus and his family lived as refugees. There's a lot said about refugees today. Jesus and his family lived as refugees. They had to flee their own country and live among strangers, live in a foreign land because of the hatred and the murderous spirit that was trying to take Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus probably experienced the death of his earthly father, Joseph. We see Joseph in what is it, Luke, whatever chapter that is, where they go to the temple when Jesus is at the age of 12, we never see Joseph again in Scripture. Now, he, Jesus, he may have lived and just been a very quiet guy, and you know. but all through Jesus' ministry, you see Mary. Here's Mary and, and doing this, and Mary's doing that, and Mary and Jesus' brothers are doing all that. But you never see Joseph. And this is speculative. What I'm saying is speculation. I can't prove it can't disprove it, but most scholars believe that Joseph, when he married Mary, was probably quite a bit older than Mary. And that perhaps the reason there's total silence and no appearances or observations of Joseph once Jesus begins his ministry is probably because he passed away when Jesus was younger. So Jesus knew, perhaps, the loss of a very close loved one. We know that Jesus knew the loss of a loved one when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod. Uh, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. Mary was the niece of Elizabeth, so I don't know if that makes them second cousins or whatever. But, you know, there was a certain relationship there. There was a family relationship Uh, But there was also a ministerial relationship because John the Baptist is the one that introduced Jesus to the public. And so Jesus, when he heard that Herod had beheaded John the Baptist, you know, the Bible says Jesus said to his disciples, Guys, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's go to a quiet place for a while. And have you ever, you know, maybe you've gotten some devastating news. Maybe you lost somebody you love. And, and the only thing he wanted to do was just pull away, just, you know, get away. Jesus didn't stay isolated, but he did want some solitude. Um, he didn't even get that very much because the multitudes found him. But Jesus felt the pain of loss. And then Jesus faced rejection all through his ministry. The Bible says he came to his own and his own rejected him. Jesus was not only rejected by his own people, but he was maligned. He was cursed. He was accused of being a blasphemer. Um, he was lied about. Uh, he often lived under the threat of death. He not only knew the death of John the Baptist, but his friend Lazarus died, and the Bible says at the tomb of Lazarus. And I don't fully understand this. I've heard a lot of people like you know give these explanations, and I'm not sure any of them are right. But Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. His friend had died. Even though Jesus is going to raise him from the dead in a few minutes, he still weeps. I don't know if Jesus was just kind of identifying with the pain of people when they lose loved ones or not. But but he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he wanted to minister to them. He wanted to lead them. He wanted to bring them in a safe path. And and they rejected him. And the Bible says he wept over the whole city. And then, I want you to, if you could help me out in the sound booth, if you could go to Matthew chapter 26 in the Amplified Bible. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 Amplified. We always talk about the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross, and we know just from history. And you don't even have to know history; just common sense tells you that if they drive spikes through your hands and feet and hang you up on a on a cross, that hurts. Uh, they described it as a very torturous death, a very humiliating death. Um, many of the people that. Uh, actually were crucified, ended up dying of suffocation. Uh, So if you go back and read a medical doctor's description of of crucifixion, you find out it was one of the most horrific, torturous, painful types of deaths imaginable. But, But many people, including Billy Graham, have speculated that there was something way beyond the physical pain that Jesus felt. Uh, there was the pain, and I don't know how to describe it or define it, but there was the pain of bearing the sin of the whole world that some have said was worse than the physical pain. But we do know this from the account in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before Jesus actually bore the sin of the world, uh, he, he had to go through this period in the Garden of Gethsemane where he had to prepare himself emotionally and spiritually to bear the sin of the world. It it was like he wasn't totally bearing the sin of the world yet that was going to happen on the cross, but the shadow of that was beginning to come over him. And in in profound emotion uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he was agonizing to the point where he was sweating drops of blood, perspiration, he was under so much stress and pressure, and and maybe there's some doctors in here that know about this. Uh, I I did some just checking, and I found out there are some conditions where people can be under such horrendous stress that the capillaries near the skin will break, and that people can actually bleed out of their pores, the pores of their skin. And the Bible says Jesus was bleeding uh, from the uh, sweating drops of blood. But we read in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 37. Let's look at this in the Amplified Bible. It says, and taking with him. I'm sorry, can we do that? Do we have Amplified? We don't have Amplified. No worries. Um, let me read it to you from the Amplified because it's so much richer and more profound. It says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Jesus wanted some partners. Jesus wanted somebody to be with him. Uh, he He just didn't want to be alone right now. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to show, this is the Amplified, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, My soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Let me read that to you one more time. He began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, My soul is very sad and deeply grieved, so that I am almost dying of sorrow. That's amazing. See, Jesus, there was a risk, let me say it this way, there was a risk that Jesus might never go to the cross because the grief almost killed him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did you hear that? The depth of grief and sadness almost killed him in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've heard theologians say, that perhaps the great battle of Gethsemane was not simply a final surrendering of his will to the will of God. Because we know he said, I'd rather not do this, but not my will, but your will be done. That obviously is a part of it. But part of the battle also was that he was resisting death from the sheer emotional pain of the event. And he was forcing himself to stay alive so he could go to the cross as our substitute and shed his blood there for the forgiveness of our sins. How many of you appreciate what Jesus did? But I want you to know this. From his earliest days to his final breaths before his death on the cross, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief say so why 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 are we looking at all this tonight because i believe that the idea of reproduction quality for us to have the nature of god on the inside of us today for us to be able to say you know what i am the temple of the holy spirit i've been created in the image and likeness of god because i am in christ I am a new creation. I have the privilege of of imitating God and copying Him and following His example. I can act like Him on the outside because He's made me like Him on the inside. The privilege of us being able to have His nature in us tonight To be able to say, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And I have the image and nature and likeness and character of God in my spirit. Therefore, I can bear the fruit of the spirit. The price for that was that he became everything that we were. All of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the depression, all of the anguish, all of the negative things... That would plague humanity because of the fall of man. Jesus took all that upon himself and we're able to say today, I was crucified with Christ. That's why we don't have to let the old man dominate us anymore. That's why we don't need to allow the old habits to dominate us anymore. That's we don't, we don't have to allow the oppression of Satan to dominate us anymore because we were crucified with Christ. He took all of that so that the original cassette tape that got messed up. I guess you could, you know, use this illustration. Actually, this tape, Pastor John, that you gave me has, has these little screws in here, one in each corner. So if the tape gets damaged, you could take it off. You could put in a totally new tape. Put the, the case is the same, but the tape is new. And it can once again be recorded over to have newness on the inside of us. Now, what happens when we understand this is we really appreciate, we appreciate what Jesus did. We are so thankful that He's a man of sorrows. But you know what? Every single one of us going through life, we picked up some sorrows, we faced some rejection. Uh, you know, we've had people not like us. We've had people lie about us. We've had people do us wrong. Uh, we've had people reject us and things like that. But I'll tell you what. Let me close with this verse tonight. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. In the New King James Version, Hebrews 4.15, it says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Double negative there. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. So you just, the the negatives cancel each other. So what this is saying, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Now, sympathize does not mean that he wallows in it and, you know, oh, you poor thing, you pathetic thing. Uh, but he identifies with us in our pain, but he allows us to identify with him in his resurrection. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Whatever you're going through, Jesus has been through it. Whatever you're feeling, Jesus has felt it. Whatever temptation you're facing. Now, I'm going to say this. Jesus, in his earthly life, you know, it's kind of hard to think he was tempted with absolutely everything, But if he wasn't tempted with it experientially, he faced the temptation of it as our substitute. It was poured upon him as our substitute. So in his life, he experienced, and maybe he did experience everything just as an example to us, but on the cross, if anything was absent from his earthly experience of pain and sorrow, he he got it on the cross, all right? One way or another, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So the problem is, or the the answer is, the solution really is this. Jesus overcame everything and he lives on the inside of us. Uh, We were created in the image and likeness of God. Now, if we want to see something especially cool, let's go to the next verse, Hebrews 4, 16. It says, let us, therefore, let us, therefore, come boldly. See, that's why we can come boldly is because Jesus is our example. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't ever believe the devil who tells you that God doesn't care about the problem you're facing. Don't ever believe the devil's lie that tells you that God is not going to help you that God is not going to strengthen you, that God is not going to give you grace. Because I want you to know, you're not just anybody. You're created in the image and likeness of God. You're a new creature in Christ. You are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. But it's not even you. It's Christ living on the inside of you. And the Bible says, if God did not withhold His own Son from us, How shall he not with him freely give us all things? So you've got good things coming. You've got good days ahead. You've got bright days ahead because the God who reigns in heaven lives in you. Is it life or is it memories? Is it this cassette tape, you know, or or is it Ella herself? Is it God or is it you? It's God in you. It's Christ in you. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Stand up with me. Stand up. Say, Father, I thank you that you are my God and my Father and that I was created in Christ Jesus, my new man, the new man on the inside of me, the new creation, who I am, was created in righteousness and in true holiness. I have on the inside of me the image and the likeness of God. So I thank you that you help me from the inside out to be changed, to be transformed, to be an imitator of God, To copy you and to follow your example. I am not here to be conformed to the world. To imitate the ugliness and the carnality of uncontrolled flesh. I'm here to be an imitator of God. To be conformed to the image of Christ. To reflect and to represent, and to express your glory in the earth. I thank you that you helped me do it. And Jesus, I thank you that you were the man of sorrows. But you bore that. You overcame everything. And today, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. So, Father, we can be glad tonight. We can be full of joy tonight. We can be full of peace tonight. Thank you that you help us in every way. That even though we're all growing, you don't condemn us because we haven't made perfect progress. But you are sure helping us move in the right direction. So we're forgetting what's behind, and we're reaching forward to what's ahead, to lay hold of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, in His name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Pastor John.